welcome to Circuit Break from Macrofab, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and AI retrospectives. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Gilman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 405. Circuit Break from Macrofab. We have an update from Macrofab today. But they're doing a Beers for Engineers event in San Antonio, Texas on the 29th of November. Go to macfab.com slash meetup for all the information about that event. I won't be there, but if you're in San Antonio, go show up, drink some free beer, talk to our engineers and salespeople that show up for that. Um, it's always a good time. I wish I was going, but it is quite a ways away from where I live. San Antonio is a bit of a drive. Uh, any reason why San Antonio? Is there something going on out there? I have no idea. Oh, very cool. Yeah. They're just like, we're doing one in San Antonio. They did one in like uh, California. Like, I think it was like by San Diego. They did one up in Boston. We've done a couple here in Houston. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Go hang out with the marketing engineers and, and salespeople in San Antonio. All right. So we have uh, two topics today. Two main topics. We have um, 3D packaging for integrated circuits. And this is kind of like, it's interesting. Both of these are going to be kind of like a retrospective, I guess. A little bit, yeah. We're also going to talk about chat GPT or just like AI in general. It's been about a year since, I mean, it's AI has been around for a lot longer, but it's been about a year since it kind of blew up as a service <laughs> since it was on like the nightly news for yes. on, on like local television <laughs> yeah local television so it's been about a year since ai as a service a a a s oh man good stuff uh and then we got some project updates if we get to it i hope we do because i have steven's got a update oh and we have some community updates too Let's just dive right on in. All right. So our first topic is about uh, 3D packaging of semiconductors. And, and actually, this came from um, an article that was found for us that talks about how 3D packaging is sort of the next breakthrough for processing. And it's funny because in doing the research for this, as I was reading through these articles, the, all that came to mind was way, way, way back at the beginning of our podcast Episode number 17 was Octavo's Systems. Gosh, I'm totally going to mess up the name. Greg, I believe, was, was the gentleman's name. Came on from Octavo Systems to talk about System in Package, SIP, which at the time wasn't necessarily new, but they were doing some interesting things with System in Package, which basically meant a substrate with multiple different die packages built onto it that was customer specific. So if you needed this flavor of ADC and this flavor of processor and this and all these other things, they could package them all together for you. That was a fun chat that we had back then. But 3D packaging is more of a vertical integration of semiconductors. In the world of like memory, that's not necessarily a new thing. Because if you look at NAND memory and things of, of that sort, they've been doing vertical integration for quite a while in that. But in terms of entire systems in a vertical integration, this article seems to point out that is sort of the next venture of what uh, semiconductors are going towards. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of chat about what that looks like and uh, some of the intricacies in that. 
and really the thing that sort of stands out to me is like, okay, so what does that mean in terms of 3D packaging with semiconductors? Does it just mean we take a bunch of dyes and we solder them together and like, here we go, we have a, a 3D thing. I know AMD is doing something with like 3D caching where they are putting the cache basically on top of their CPU dies. Right. What's that called? I thought it was called like 3DFX, but that's actually not what AMD is calling wasn't, it. Wasn't 3DFX like a trade name for something back in it the day? It was a graphics card company that made the Voodoo series. Right. Oh, man. I remember seeing one of those at a thrift store in my hometown back in the day and lusting after it. It was like one of those thrift stores where they knew that was the expensive thing. So it was in a uh, in a glass case. Glass case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, I had a 3D FX, was it a Voodoo? It was the dual core chip. I think it was the Voodoo 5. And that was definitely not when it was new, though. That was like eight years after the Voodoo 5 had come out. Oh, man, I'm seeing some pictures online of, of the Voodoo 5. And it just has like fans bolted right to the PCB. like Yeah, right where the chips are at. <laughs> this is classic right here. <laughs> Oh, man, this is good. Yeah, I think they made a quad version, but I had the Voodoo 5 with just the dual cores. Funny enough, that was on a Mac. I had an old PowerPC. Was it a PowerPC 3? I've got it here. AMD's 3D V cache is uh, a larger secondary L3 cache that sits right on top of the CPU cores. Yes, that's what AMD is doing now. But... It was a Power Macintosh G3 I had, and it had a Voodoo 5 in it. Wait, you did Power Mac? Way back in the day. I got it out of a dumpster. (laughs) Not lying. (laughs) I I, I used Power Macs for a handful of years, and uh, it was awful. I think I got that thing around 2003, 2004, and... Apple sold that from 97 to 99. So by 2003, 2004, someone had already thrown this thing away. Mm, They could smell it was a turd. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting from how it was, the case construction was very unusual for that. Because I was so used to like ATX, you know, PCs. And this was a power PC and it was a Mac. So it, it like opened really weird. But then when you look at like all modern like Dells and gateways and et cetera, all have really interesting, weird enclosures that like unfold and have like snap locks and stuff. So if anything, like Apple was kind of ahead of the game on that one, because now everyone does that kind of like highly integrated PC setups for enclosures. Yeah, they're, they're all pretty easy to get into nowadays and, you know, all really highly standardized. But yeah, the, the big old beige G3. Because it was not the, like, transparent plastic one. I don't remember which one I had. But yeah, got it at a dumpster, and it worked fine. Someone just didn't want it. <laughs> I wonder if you got mine. <laughs> we threw it away. <laughs> you, you got it. <laughs> I could have, yeah. It didn't have a hard drive, and the PC hard drives I had didn't work with it. I had to get a specific Mac Hard drive is what I recall. I didn't know you even used Macs ever. Well, it had that cool graphics card, and that was and I was like 15, 16 years old at the time, so it was it looked really cool. So yeah, I had to get a Mac hard drive and install it's 20 years ago at this point. That was probably 
gosh, I don't, I don't, I'm not up to date on my Mac stuff, but what Mac OS are they at now? Because they just started numbering them at some point. I don't think they number. I think they just call them after like animals now. Oh, did they just change to that? Yeah. Well, see, it went to like I, Mac 10, Mac OS X, which was 10. And I think they just named them after animals now. It's probably like Mac OS Aardvark or something like that nowadays. Perhaps they do both because now they're on 14, but they started in 2001 with just, I guess it was just called Mac OS. Yeah. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. They have a version number and then a release name like Leopard or Tiger or Maverick or Yosemite. And I, they just have a ton, which, okay, I got to, wow, we're, we're blasting on tangents right now. I got a funny story because the word Yosemite brought this up. <laughs> at my first job out of college, we got a new engineering director and he, he had this idea where it was like, okay, so if we're getting these new big projects, we have to name them after something really big. So the company decided we're going to name them after mountains. So, cause a mountain you have to climb and you have to scale. It's a big, big thing, right? So, so all of our projects were named after mountain, mountains. So the first project they came, <laughs> they came to the engineering team and they were like, what should we name this? And our lead engineer starts looking for, names of hills that are around the office. And we're in Houston, Texas. So a hill is like three feet high. These like little tiny things. <laughs> and he found this whole list of names of hills and presented those. And after that one event, the engineering team was never allowed to name a project ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's get back on topic. Yeah. <laughs> back to 3D construction of ICs. Yeah. 3D construction ICs is like putting another road on top of another road. And just putting them, but really, really close together. Yeah, really close. Adam's close. The question, though, uh, exists of, okay, so what's the difference between a 3D vertical stack versus monolithic versus system and package? So monolithic would be you make the entire thing on a single die, yeah. right? You build the whole thing in one go, effectively. Uh, system and packages, you take a bunch of little chiplets and you put them on a substrate and connect them together. And then I guess you have the classic way, you just put them all on a PCB and connect them together. Uh, so, so you know, what is the benefit of doing 3D versus monolithic versus? Well, the, the big thing is, especially when you're talking about doing high speed stuff, you want the distances to be as short as possible. It's partially the electrons don't really have to go as far, so it's faster. But you also have less parasitic, so you can run faster clocks and that kind of stuff. That's the main purpose. But in going with 3D, it probably affords them some more liberties with the manufacturing process versus, let's say, putting the a big L3 cache on the side and one shot on a die. Meaning that if that L3 cache gets damaged or whatever during the manufacturing process, then that whole die is probably bad. Whereas if you're doing this like stack up style, you can probably, I don't know if they build the cache separately and then put it on top of it or are they building up the crystalline structure in one shot? Well, one shot's the bad, uh, not a good term for it, but. I bet you they're doing it separately. I mean, you know, you're doing all your CPU architecture and then you look. And, and then, then the L3 as a separate thing and then you, you marry them together. If they do it that way, then what I'm thinking of makes sense. But if they're actually just like building the CPU architecture and then growing more crystalline structure on top and then basically building a substrate on top of your, your CPU architecture for the L3 cache, 
then my idea doesn't make that much sense. It makes sense from a, it's closer and it's better that way. And you can make it bigger because now you can use the entire die surface instead of, you know, a portion of it. You know, another thing also with the 3D systems of, of utilizing separate dies and marrying them together is that you get to pick the flavor of every single die. So the, the crystalline substructure that you go with, you can actually pick what makes the most sense for what you're doing in that little chip. If That was something that really stuck with me from our conversation with Octavo Systems is that, you know, the same silicon substrate that you pick for your processor might not be the best thing for your ADD. Yeah. And so you could pick the right things and then just connect them together. Effectively, what you're doing is you're just making a small PCB. But with the 3D systems, you're making a small PCB in the Z direction as opposed to XY. The obvious benefits are getting things smaller so you get better space efficiency. You can cram more crap into a smaller package, right? But I would think that that has to come with the trade-off of thermal efficiency because now you're just packing a lot of crap into one spot and you still have to get the heat out. Yeah, now you're having all your heat has to go. That's the AMD example. All your heat has to go through the L3 cache to get to your heat sink. And you're talking 100 watts plus probably. I don't know what the TDW on those AMD chips are, but it's probably about 90 watts, 90 to 100 Maybe 125 watts. I've seen them higher than that. It's a lot of power in something the size of the you know fingernail on your thumb. Right. So you build in compromises and problems into it. So I guess the trade-off is probably... Someone's done the math and the trade-off is probably positive, right? You get more crap in, in a little spot. Those 3D cache CPUs from AMD are kind of like the bee's knees right now. If I was going to build... If I, well, I want, need to build a new computer... By the way, for our listeners, I still haven't built a new computer. It's been like eight months. It's been like eight months, like nursing this one around for a while. And uh, it's still working. I actually got it all back together a couple months ago when we talked about that. Because it sat on the floor for a few weeks. No, it was longer than a few weeks. You're talking like, it was like four months with his guts hanging out. Oh, was it really? Okay. That hard drive just being like all over the... uh, (laughs) <laughs> over the floor because it, it worked and I'm like I can't touch it right that was the whole thing because if you touched it it might stop working and you just didn't know what, what the issue was <sighs> yeah because I put it back together initially like eight months ago and it stopped working and I took it back apart and it started working again I'm like well I can't touch it <laughs> sounds like you need some 3D semiconductors in there yeah so I would, I would build it on AMD's new 3D vCache tech What's the difference between L2 and L3 cache? Layman turn, I think it's just how much closer it is to the CPU. Yeah, I thought L2 cache was on the same die right next to the processor, right? It was also L1. That's true. That's true. So yeah, let us know what y'all think about uh, 3D packaging. Yeah, I'm wondering if any of our listeners are actually working in this and and uh, and if you have any experience with it. If you do, come join our Discourse channel and comment on that. I'd love to hear some more information on this of what are the like stark benefits of going with this other than being able to just cram a bunch of stuff in it. And then what's the challenges behind it? Uh, Is it more than just thermal getting the heat out and difficulty of making it? So our next topic we're going to talk about is uh, chat GPT, mostly AAAS or AI as a service. 
I'm so glad we came up with that because that's like my favorite thing now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be surprised if we're the first, but I like I'd be that. super surprised because someone has to have come up with that. Yeah. AI as a service, like ChatGPT, started getting really popular in the public space around this time last year. And around this time last year, we, of course, tried it out. And we were like, well, for technical stuff, it's not really good. But it's really good at doing fun stuff. Because, like, actually, last year on the Star Wars podcast, I had it write a screenplay about Star Wars that I had made everyone read on our podcast. That was a lot of fun. It was great for that. Well, mostly it stumbled a bit, but it got the job done. But now we are a almost an entire year later from that Star Wars podcast. I want to do a retro reflective on or retrospective, I guess. I guess it's a retro reflective too, but that's for lights. That's photons, <laughs> not neurons firing back. So in the last year, what have you used AI for? Oh man. So the first big project I used AI for was with the Anon XR group. We did a lot of AI work like Hiron and Zap over there. We did a lot of AI work, not on the hardware, but some of the firmware we did AI work on, but most of it was like in the promotional material for the badge. We did a lot of AI work. We built pipelines for doing voice cloning, building the text that the voice cloning would say. And then we did deep fakes. We had a Matt Damon deep fake. We had a uh, Billy Mays deep fake. You had a me deep yeah, fake. Yeah, we did you deep fake. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. So that was my first big project I did. Before then, I would ask it random questions and make fun of the questions it would, or the answers it would give me, because most time it would be wrong. But since then, I'm talking about chat GPT in general right now. It's gotten very interesting what you can do with it now. Because now, at least ChatGPT4, it writes code for you. And it's mostly good. So what's your what was your first project that you used it for, Stephen? I actually logged into ChatGPT last night and it kept a history of things that I had done before. And most of them were just stupid. In fact, I would say the majority of them were just stupid. But the very first thing I did was actually in reference to your charity stream last year. So it was basically one year ago. I asked it, uh, ChatGPT, to write Duke Nukem quotes for me. And what's funny is none of them were good because it just like wrote like really bad ones that already exist. It just went and found Duke Nukem. And just like and, shuffled and, the pile around. Yeah, 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 yeah. It really wasn't like coming up with something new or yeah, it, it just felt like quotes, basically. I have asked Chat GPT on multiple occasions to make beer recipes. There was a few in my history from there. And once again, it was similar to the Duke Nukem quotes where it just pumped things out that were like, okay, yes, if you did this, you would get something. But there's no like, I don't know, there's no character to it. Like that beer would be like drinkable, but it wouldn't be good in it, any It would way. be the average of average beers of that recipe. Exactly. Which is unsurprising, right? Because that's what you would think AI would be kind of geared towards. And then last night for fun, I've had this idea with a buddy that we've kind of joked about writing music about World War One. It's 
it's a long story, but writing music about World War One, and I'm not a lyricist whatsoever. So I was like, okay, what if Chat GPT wrote the lyrics, or at least got like 90% of the way there on the lyrics about World War One? And so I asked Chat GPT to do this, and it, and it came up with stuff that's like, okay, like fine, like the lyrics it was cranking out were like okay like there's nothing special about them the one thing that's funny though is every song i asked it to write it created the same structure so every single one was like verse chorus verse chorus, blah 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 but every single one had a guitar solo in the exact same spot so it was like <laughs> chat gpt just loves guitar solos for whatever reason and it's funny because i asked it to write a, a song Really, I asked it to write the lyrics to a song, but it just knew to put a guitar solo in to every single song. So that was fun. So, so yeah, I, I mean, my experience has mainly been for fun. I haven't really used it much outside of just like, I wonder what AI is going to give me in these. Well, the new stuff, especially for ChatGPT uh, side, Stephen, does PDF parsing. Oh, and that's very interesting. I've been throwing PDFs for data sheets at components at it just to see what it comes up with. Okay. And asking it like random questions like how many pins is this part or what's the what is the package or is there a JDEX standard package in this PDF? One thing that's really cool I found was especially in regards with resistors and capacitors. Basically, I wrote a script that talks to the API. So ChatGPT is weird. This is my biggest gripe with, with all these AAAS companies <laughs> is their pricing models are just messed up. So ChatGPT, when you go to like ChatGPT's website and you click and you like has like the chat set up, right? Where you can type in it and hit enter and it chats back to you. That's its own product that they sell, uh, OpenAI sells. To use their API, that's a completely different service that you have to sign up for. And the first one is like a monthly fee. The other one is it uses tokens and it's price per token. For an example though, my last project I did, which was for the charity stream, uh, we talked a little about, about this, but basically I had a chat GPT bot that I trained it to be Darth Vader, a snarky Darth Vader that would thank the donators live on stream. That cost me for the entire day was nine cents. <laughs> <laughs> so literally nothing. Sure. I was like, oh, I'm not even worried about it, right? We'll go more on that project later, but the pricing models are just weird because it says tokens and it doesn't say like per chat or per topic. Like something like that would make way more sense from a pricing standpoint, but that doesn't make any sense. 11 IO is the same way. It's like tokens or something like, oh no, it's like per character. 11 IO is why well, you can train text to speech voice models on. That's how we deep fake you, Steven. Right. With like 15 seconds. With like 15. Well, now they make it so you can give more audio clips so you can like refine the models a lot better now because that's how I did Darth Vader's voice is I went on I basically went on YouTube someone had already made like clean audio of just Darth Vader saying stuff in the movies download those as mp3s throw them in there 
click the box that says, yes, you have permission to use that voice. <laughs> and, then, and then just run it. <laughs> I totally didn't do that, by the way. 11IO's pricing model is really crazy too, but it's very powerful. Apparently there's like a video game that just came out that's in beta that uses, I don't know if they use 11IO's, but they use a text-to-speech for like the announcer in the game. Oh, cool. But it's how they're doing like a dynamic announcer in the game. I think what they're doing is they have a announcer model that looks at, kind of like in sports where like the announcer will say what's going on, but there's nothing they can pre-record because what humans do in the game is random, right? Or essentially random. And so that's what they're doing here is they are... AI is looking at what's going on and then goes, I need to make an announcement about this thing. Let me see what's going on and make an announcement. So it's kind of interesting. Apparently it got a lot of backlash because people are like, don't want AI voices in the game. But I'm like, the underlying idea of it figuring it out is kind of cool. I think that's what it's doing. I could be wrong there though. It could just be like, just saying text to speech though, which then that's kind of lame. How do you get like inflections in that though? How do you get like the AI to make sure that they know how to be excited when they need to? Yeah, I don't know either. I think if it's an announcer, it can you can always make it excited, like just set it to be excited all the time. <laughs> just all the time, yeah. yeah. But I don't know, because that's actually one of the problems with a lot of the text-to-speech AIs is... They don't have any context. They don't know the context. And when you go listen to that episode where we did Steven... It was the first week in August that we did that episode where we did an AI of Steven. And you can tell it sounds just like Steven, except not. Because there's something missing from the voice, like yeah. cadence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. The inflections are all wrong. And in fact, I showed that episode or just the intro to that to a few of my friends and they were all like, nah, that's not you. Even though, like, I agree, like, the actual, like, tonality. The tonality is perfect. It sounds just like you. Yeah. Except if you were pretending to be a robot, it sounded just like you. <laughs> Actually, that, that brings up something fun. When you ask somebody, does it sound like me? Everyone that I asked said no, because the definition to people of what something sounds like is way more than just the audible tone. That's all, like a small slice of the pie of what it takes to sound like somebody. Yes. Yeah, like the, the cadence matters, the inflection matters, every little bit matters. Just the small warbles that are there matter, which is interesting because, you know, the idea that you can take something and train a model to sound like it yeah, sure, you can, but it cannot pick up the inflections unless you give it enough of a data set. But even then, does it know the context? Like we were saying with the game, would an AI know to go freaking nuts if a touchdown happened in a football game, right? Uh, maybe not. Maybe they'd just be like, oh, that's a touchdown. You know, like just uh, be really boring about the it. The ball crossed the f zero yard line. Because that's what it would <laughs> yeah, think because right. it was zero yards to goal. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it will eventually get there because what we've seen over the last year is even ChatGPT 3 and 3.5 is like the new, their mainstream one, is if when you ask it for like screenplays and that kind of stuff, it will give you direction on how it should be said. 
So the next part will be feeding that into an AI model. And we're talking about cloning voice. Like 11IO has other things where like you can do speech synthesis where it's not trying to clone any one person's voice. It's making up its own voice, which is kind of interesting as well. I actually have a, a, a fun example of AI in use in the office. And this totally goes exactly in line with what I've kind of felt AI was going for, I don't know, the beginnings of AI. Because people are not sure what how AI plugs into your everyday life. I think this is a really great example of it, though. We have at work, there's like a charity drive going on where you can give toys to uh, some families. And we don't really have much of a graphic design team at our work or a marketing team that could spend time making stuff. So our quality team just got together and typed in a few things in Stable Diffusion and printed off whatever it crapped out for that and then slapped a QR code on it and put them up on the wall. And instead of spending hours and hours creating these really nicely hand-done posters for this these charity drives... It was done in like 10 minutes. And it's like, there's this nice picture of a crazy Santa Claus in space in a space suit with like holding a bunch of toys and like this really weird looking space shuttle and stuff that like, okay, great, whatever it crapped out because it didn't need to be like super perfect. So AI just dumping that out and we can get it up on the wall in a short period of time. Perfect. That's a great example of it being very useful. And, uh, not replacing a job, but like doing a job that didn't need to have a lot of effort put into it. Yeah, because you weren't going to hire someone to do that graphic anyways. Correct. Correct. And it looks way better than just like somebody handwriting something on a piece of paper on a wall and, you know, taping it to a wall. It looks it looks professional, but it's also like everyone knows that AI <laughs> made the Santa <laughs> in space. <laughs> So uh, a more recent thing is I actually used the more recent chat GPT stuff to write me some example Python code that I used. So what I wanted to do was I'm doing a lot of uh, open CV stuff, open computer vision, and I needed to apply a correction based off a vision, like basically looking at like fiducial kind of stuff and measuring offsets. And then I needed to apply that correction to a whole set of data. I was reading like papers on how to do this. There's several different methods of doing it. And I'm like, man, I don't know which one's the best one. And it would take me forever coding this up. So I, I really was like, I want to see if ChatGPT could just like crap out some example functions. And then I could just try which one works the best. And yeah, I was like, hey, I have three correction points. I have a set of data of Cartesian XY data. I was like, what examples can you give me to correct this data? And it gave me like five different options. And I was like, okay, good. Spit out the Python code for all five of those. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of weird because it chose to make its own data set from a, like I gave it my data set and it didn't, it like looked at it and was like, nah, I'm not using that. I was like, nah, nah, not good, man. I don't like yeah. this. <laughs> it structured the data in a different way than I had it. So I had to kind of like change it a little bit. But uh, yeah, in about an hour, I was able to try all five different methods and figure out which one I wanted to use. I think that's fantastic. But like if ChatGPT craps out code, 
there's no guarantee that that code could even work. Correct. Yeah. I had to run it. <laughs> and I reviewed it before I ran it. It's not like I just blindly click go. Oh, it's not just copy paste, right? But if you go find some code that someone has written, they can at least type out and say, I have proven that this actually functions. So you can start with the assumption that it works such that if it doesn't, you can be like, well, I can spend time trying to get it work because I know that somebody has made this work. But if ChatGPT craps it out, you can't start with that assumption. No, no. ChatGPT now will run it in its thing now. It will come up with like example data or you can give it data and it will run it for you. Oh, and it, it, it'll give you the outputs and say like, this is what- this I don't is know if I, it's like real outputs, like it's actually running the code or is it simulating what it thinks the output should be? I don't know about that part. Perhaps conspiracy theory here, but how do you know that it's also not just like spoofing the outputs and being like, well, <laughs> here well, you I just go, said, it works. I, it could be just completely like- simulated outputs not even simulated it could just be like yes it works and <laughs> could be yeah. just telling you right could be well that's why I, I i did test everything i reviewed the code and it the thing is all five examples did work with minor changing of how the functions were called because it was it wanted to use like tuples for some reason it loves tuples for some reason in python huh okay and i'm like i don't like using tuples so i'm not doing that <laughs> You want good old classic arrays or whatever? Yeah, lists. Yeah. Lists. Yeah. Okay. Is chat GPT or is or are a AI programs punished for getting things wrong? You can click the little thumbs down button. Huh, I wonder if it that feeds back at all. It has to. I mean, that's how these models work. Is it though? It's not just based on a bunch of people thumbs up or thumbs down. Well, no, that's part of it though. Like, was this output good? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, okay. Yes, it does get fed back, but it's already so far down the line by the time that there's even a thumbs up, thumbs down option. Usually when you, if you click thumbs down, it just reruns it. <laughs> right. And you get right. different output. Is the, I don't know, is the word deterministic right there? I can't remember. But with chat GPT or any of them, if you keep pressing generate, will it give you the same thing every time or is or will it give you a different thing every single time? It gives you a different thing every single time. It always gives a different thing. I don't know about the code side, like Python or whatever, but definitely when you're using it as a language model, it gives you different things. So it's definitely not deterministic. Is it possible for it to be deterministic? I, I guess the answer has to be yes, right? Because it is, at the end of the day, it is an algorithm, right? Yeah, I don't know about that. That'd be interesting to know. But the inputs are probably so... Fuzz turbulent. Yeah, that it would be impossible or close to impossible to get a deterministic output. Yeah. I guess you can think of it as humans. If someone asks you, Steven, a question and asks me a question, we're going to give different answers. Unless it's, would you like a cold beer? Oh, that's yes. <laughs> <laughs> Does chat GPT want a cold beer? <laughs> Are you asking? Yeah, I'm going to ask it right now. I hope it just comes back with yes and that's it. It probably has some long-winded thing about the fact that it doesn't drink. ChatGPT says, I don't have the ability to drink or desire beverages. Actually, wh what did you type in? I asked it, hey, do you want a cold beer? And this was in a, I was asking it other questions in this thread. So it might change what you get. Yeah, mine was effectively the same, although... I'm getting a lot of uh, pleasantries from it. Like, thank you for the offer. I appreciate the gesture. 
What if we asked it, pretend you had the desire of beverages? <laughs> In that case, a cold beer sounds refreshing. Especially if it's a relaxing moment after a long day of assisting with inquiries and generating creative content. Thank you for the thoughtful offer. Yeah, mine is way more detailed about the hypothetical of enjoying a cold beer. Well, you're probably using the chat GPT 3.5. I am. You're using 4.0, aren't you? 4 right now, yeah. Which I can't believe I just used 4.0 credits on that question. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. See, this is what AI was designed for. Yeah. This is it. What I foresee is using a language model. So, basically, like having a voice actor to train a language model. And then what you do is you have your writers build up character models, AI models that generate the text, right? And so then when you go, you as the player character, go talk to an NPC, non-player character, you always get dialogue in text, even though there's no other content for that character to talk about. Even though instead of saying the character going like, leave me alone now, I'm done, or... Like in Bethesda games, they just regurgitate their last line over and over and over again because just right. what's left of them. <laughs> what's left? You could freeze the end of me. Yeah, the end <laughs> of me. Yeah. N <laughs> equals end of line, right? Or end of the list. Right. Whereas you could just generate new end of line or end of the character thing. Because when if someone just like keeps like asking you, like you're not just going to regurgitate the same sentence over and over and over again. Right. That's what I'm really like looking forward to with this stuff and at least in game development. I see that being like an easy logical implementation. Oh, I think entertainment as a whole, like the idea, I think I've said this before, but like the idea like your kid wants to go to bed and they're like, hey, you know, tell me a story about Harry Potter and you've already read the books like 15 times. And you go to ChatGPT and like, give me a new story about Harry Potter. And it just does one on the spot. And there you go. Like those kinds of things. I see it being very useful. In. Except it would be like Perry Hotter. Because it can't be like copyright. <laughs> Although the, I've seen the material that they train these models on. How is it scraped all the material? Because how do you, how do you make sure that it is not copyrighted material? And I think the answer is you can't. Really? Yeah, I don't know if you can audit. Well, I bet you the companies that are building them can do that. I don't know if you as a user can audit that, though. Because I've heard that being a concern. Oh, yeah. That's one of the big concerns. Yeah. Is it using copyright material that you don't know you're using? Correct. Yeah. Right before we leave, I have an idea for... I'm going to do two charity streams. So, by the way, actually, the charity stream this year went really great. We raised... uh, $8,200 right now for Texas Children's Hospitals, which is really good. We were like number one for the hospital I picked. And actually, there's some stragglers that are going to push us over the $10,000 mark. So that's going to be great. Next year, I'm going to do the same charity event. But I think I'm going to do another charity event as well that I want you to be part of, Stephen. That sounds fantastic. Let's try to make it happen. Yeah. So we're going to play Desert Bus. (laughs) No, for how long? 16 hours. 16 hours of Desert Bus? 16 hours. So Desert Bus is a video game by Penn and Teller. It was an unreleased game that it was a simulation of driving a bus from, I don't know where it starts, but you end up in Las Vegas. 
and then you leave Las Vegas and drive back. And it's eight hours one way, eight hours back. And what I want to do, you kind of have to be in person for this. So we have to figure out how to make this work. Because I also want to do it right before DEF CON. Because I drive to Vegas for DEF CON. So it's going to be like I drive to Vegas simulated. And then I do it for real. <laughs> so it's like early August kind of thing. Yeah, end of September is what I'm looking at. Wait, I thought I thought DEF CON took place in August. Oh, end of July then. I got my months mixed up. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you can tell I'm not chat GPT. <laughs> so desert bus, like we just sit on a couch and drive the desert no, bus? No, I, wa I want to build a mini set of us <laughs> in a bus. In a bus, okay. And have a big steering wheel. And I want to build like a, because it's a Sega Saturn or Sega CD game. And there's no steering wheel controllers for a Sega CD. So I want to build my own like force feedback system for it. Okay. I don't know exactly. I'm thinking like a stepper motor with an encoder. So you can like have resistance on the stepper. So it feels like you're driving. And then the encoder knows how much you turn it. And then we can do force feedback on that based on like where the bus is at on the road. Like have a camera looking at it and then a AI figuring out like where the bus is at. Also, just to be clear about this game, like the road doesn't turn. You just you just go straight. You just go straight for eight hours. No, no, but there's a crown to the road. So your bus slightly randomly pulls right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the whole game is just keeping the bus straight. Yeah, and because if you fall off the road, your bus gets damaged and you have to get towed back to the start and start over. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. This doesn't sound very pleasant, Parker. Basically, one person drives, the other one drinks beer, and then one person gets tired, you swap positions. That's all you do for like 16 hours. Unless we fall off the road like halfway through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I want to try to play it on a Sega CD, like legitly, like actually have a Sega CD there running the game. And just play the legit thing. Play the legit thing. And I want my controller to plug into the controller port on it. I think there's, it's gas, brake, horn, and you can open the door for some reason, <laughs> like the bus door. And then there's left and right steering, but it's like digital. It's not an analog stick. Of all the games you could pick, you pick Desert Bus. Yes. Because I think the challenge of building, I don't think I'll build a full set. It'll probably be like, we'll set up like a big steering wheel with this like contraption that does the force feedback and stuff. And then a blue screen. <laughs> and then we'll wear like bus uniforms or something like that. Okay. I don't know what charity I want to do it for yet. I might just do it for Extra Life as well. Because technically Extra Life runs the whole year. But we'll see. Maybe we'll pick another one. Oh, I didn't know. Desert Bus, you actually, uh, the day changes to night. Yes, it has a day-night cycle. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Well, I guess we're looking forward to that then. Oh, yeah. I wonder, <laughs> we could have an AI play it. That doesn't sound as that fun. That sounds though. better. <laughs> that doesn't sound as fun. How about we have an AI play it and we play other games? Well, so we're like in the back of the bus. Yeah, I think we should play it. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll keep talking about it. Yeah. So I'll have pedals for like gas and brake. Yeah. An actual handle that you can open up and it opens up the door of the bus. Like built 3D print the whole thing. 
It would do like two hour shifts. It doesn't even have music. It's just like the noise of the bus, too. Uh, noise of the bus. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. The thing is, what I'm thinking is we have listeners in chat can play videos that we listen to. All right. Because that's how we can do the donations. You can do like, there's like programs out there for streamers where like you donate a certain amount of money and it plays a video of X length, depending on your donation length. Keep us entertained. Yeah. See, it's gonna, totally going to work. <laughs> I like how you're laughing, but you know you want to do it. Uh, there's a part of me that does and a part of me that does not. <laughs> Desert bus. Uh, all right. Well, we'll have to we'll have to work out all the details. Let us know in at circuit-break.macrofab.com, which is our new community site, if you want to see Steven play Desert Bus. For 16 hours. Because I'm going to play it. So y'all don't have to convince me. It's for the kids, Steven. It's for the kids. For the kids. Well, that's if we choose that charity. I don't know yet. It's for the charity. Let's just... Yeah, yeah for a charity. Don't know yet. Anyways... That was Circuit Break, a podcast from Macrofab. We were your hosts, Stephen Craig and Parker Doman. Take it easy. So long for now. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know, or talk about it at circuit-break.macrofab.com. Tweet us at MacFab at Longhorn Engineer or at Analog ENG or email us at podcast at MacFab.com as well. 